0: Welcome to the Do Good to Lead Well podcast. If you're passionate about mastering self-leadership, then you're in the right place. I have always been curious about and fascinated by the pursuit of leadership excellence. This is why I pursued my PhD in psychology with a specialization in business, and I've continued to dedicate my career to understanding the science and practice of positive leadership. My name is Craig Dowden, I'm a best-selling author, award-winning keynote speaker, executive coach, and member of the Forbes Coaches Council. Each week, I'll bring you world-class content on the science and practice of positive leadership. Through my conversations with best-selling authors, TED speakers, and top CEOs, you'll be able to leverage their insights and experience so you can maximize your potential and be the leader the world needs you to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Do Good to Lead Well webinar and podcast series. We're figuring out how to work better together, how to live better together, and how to contribute positively, both personally and professionally in our work and our personal communities. And so really love having the opportunity to have tremendous guests. And today is absolutely no exception. And I've been looking forward to this. I'm really glad, was able to get some time out of Omar's incredibly hectic schedule to join us. So I'm really excited to welcome Omar Salema to the series today. He's the CEO of Bonfire Interactive, an organization he joined in its early days. And so I'm really excited to talk with him about his journey, his origin story. And prior to his role, he took over as CEO during the pandemic. So really interested in that. He was the chief product officer. And when he was in that role, I think it's so important. And, and what I love is in terms of that that whole philosophy around doing good to lead well, Omer was awarded the Office of the Governor General's Meritus Service Medal, which is one of Canada's highest civilian honors due to his contributions in working with refugees and assisting them in finding employment. So again, just absolutely fantastic. This honor came as a result of Omar's work with the Jumpstart Refugee Talent Initiative that he co-founded in 2016 while he was also working at Bonfire. So again, really taking on that responsibility. When he was appointed CEO, he was really given a mandate to grow the organization through a focus on developing its people and its culture. And as you're going to see during our conversation today, just so much passion, so much insight so much awareness around. So how can we both lead ourselves as well as other people really effectively? And I can't do all of his bio justice. Without further ado, Omar, welcome to the to the program today. Absolute pleasure having you. It's a pleasure to be here, Craig. Thank you so much for the invite. You're absolutely welcome. And I'm really excited to talk to you because, I mean, you've just had so many fascinating elements in terms of your story, your journey and where you are and your emphasis and and how you've been leading during this pandemic. So perhaps let's start at the beginning. Like talk to us about Bonfire. You were there from in the earlier days of the organization, have really been a part, played senior roles throughout its its growth. Talk to us about that journey. Yeah, and it's and what
1: a journey it has been. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I joined Bonfire really early in its since its infancy. Basically, we had maybe a couple of customers that were kind of half committed. But we were there to kind of create a great product and get additional sales to happen and grow the company into something. And at that time, the likelihood of failure, you know, was orders of magnitude higher than the likelihood of success. So I actually I was about to go into an MBA program when I completely said, you know what, I would rather go through this entrepreneurship journey and kind of learn on the job. Started on the customer side, built the customer experience function from the ground up, and then, as you mentioned, later on moved towards the product side and then over to a CEO about a year and a half ago. Over that period, as you often do in a smaller company, you play all these different roles and you have a lot of learning. We learned on the job. I became a true manager and leader while being at Bonfire. I've had to learn how to manage a group of two, then three, then 10, then 20, then departments, and managing up, and managing down, and all those things were kind of learned on, on the job for me. So I made a lot of mistakes along the way, and I'll, I'll be pointing them out here and there during this conversation today. The, the journey has been great because eventually it led to an acquisition in 2019. So we became a publicly traded company or a part of a publicly traded company, which kind of brought a lot of rigor to the organization. We had to be grown up really fast. And just recently, again, we're been actually taking private. So it's been quite the uh, journey and roller coaster, but I would have it in either way.
0: No, that's, that's absolutely fantastic. And as you say, so many different aspects of the journey have had a rich uh, travel experience, travel itinerary, already got a question. So I, I love it. I think this is so great. So Ivan was wondering, were you always planning to be CEO? Was that part of your career goals when you started out? Yeah, it's. Fine. I never thought
1: about that. No, it wasn't really a goal. I wanted, uh, and I. Dis- uh, there's a lot of self discovery along the way. I've come to learn that I am more of a thirty thousand foot person, not a super detail oriented person. So I gravitate towards these roles. I like to have more impact. No, it just happened, and and I just did the best job I can in whatever role I had. Uh, eventually led
0: me here. And Sarah I've got another qu- questions, fast and furious also wondering so she's in the midst of launching uh, an organization it seems founding a company like any advice in terms of just really think it's fascinating how you scaled through that so what advice would you give as you're as you're scaling up a company
1: if you're beginning or you're scaling up i think you have to focus and we'll talk a lot about this today on the people and and the value that they bring to the organization how to keep them engaged Uh, ultimately If you have an engaged workforce, then you're going to get results done. But in terms of more of like a style or things that I learned along the way is just the power of focus. And we learned this Mm -hmm. early on. We were part of an incubator in California called Y Combinator. Prior to that, we were just there for about a year trying to kind of find a way in uh, into the market, trying to understand more. And, And what they do is they say, pick one number that is related to your business, consequential number, and then yeah. focus all your effort and pushing that number up and to the right, right? Yeah. And so that metric can be whatever you want it to be, but you're accountable uh, to that. And every week, they're going to ask you, how much progress did you make uh, along that metric? And that's something I think that just got ingrained uh, in us early on. And as the company had grown and it was beginning to scale up, it was really important to bring that power of focus back right? Because it's not about challenges. It's all about opportunities as well. You could be enticed to follow this or that, right? But uh-huh. where do you put all your effort? And do you want to do a little bit of everything or do you just want to get things done in one domain? And so I would channel in that power of focus. And I think that's what helped us get through you know, the hard times and also kind of
0: make a more meaningful uh, impact with the time that we already have. Several kudos for that. So thank you for that uh, great answer. And I love that you talk about the power of focus. And it's such an important point that you're making that there's so many things going on, so many opportunities that pass across our desks, and then it's like, all right, so what really matters? And then really committing to that, and and having that laser focus. So what a terrific for in every aspect of our lives, no matter what we're pursuing, and uh, and identifying it, and then measuring it along the way. So love that. This is one of the many reasons I was really excited to speak with you, Omar, is that you have such a focus on culture and on people. And so when we've just come through an extraordinary, and we continue to move through an extraordinary period. So what are some of the steps that you've been taking to manage your workforce, keep people engaged? Like walk us through that journey because you also took over during the pandemic. So what's that been like and how have you been able, what are some things that you've done and lessons you've learned?
1: We were scratching our heads during the pandemic to find a way to get people to continue to be engaged, and and so we experimented, and and we had to kind of always be on our toes because we've never been, nobody has ever been through this type of thing before, so we had no blueprint. So we did we did a couple of things. We started with the basics, which was ensuring the well being of, of the employees, and so we were very clear and open about our flexibility and offering that flexibility to to everyone on the other side. So we had parents openly block hours on their calendar uh, every day to say, this is gonna be my child caring time. And maybe them and their spouse were, were, were exchanging those uh, times. So one person will cover for the other. And that was okay, right? If I were to book a meeting and find somebody who's got block time for parenting, we welcome that, right? Because that's a reality that we had to live through. And so, just removing that obstacle from people and just allowing them to live as they needed to, because they had to, was was really important. And then we looked at our vacation time trackers, and we realized people were not taking their vacation. So again, focusing on the well being, we basically forced people to take time off. We called it recharge days right? So if there's a long weekend, you get one extra day. So it becomes a four-day long weekend, the entire company shuts down. And so all of us were forced to recharge. Post-pandemic, we kept that because it's been popular and people really appreciated it. And I will say, Craig, maybe we'll talk about the pandemic in a little bit in terms of the business impact, right? It was okay, right? All these things were fine. Like Our productivity didn't go down. We still hit our numbers, right? And so it's not a zero-sum thing, right? It's not one or the other. They actually work hand-in-hand. Hand. And so we beefed up our benefits package with a specific focus on mental health. So we increased the budget that was given to each employee to get therapy if they needed it. We got very vocal about that. So that's all in the well-being, right? Yeah. But then it was also communication. And, and that's something we learned very quickly is there's so much, you know, free communication that you get from being in the office. People hear things, people talk, people connect. I think we all know that by now, and so we we looked uh, inwards and we thought, what is our communication cadence like? Should we increase it? Should we decrease it? What are the missing components? Were people not getting the message from leadership on what we should be doing? Where should be focusing? And so there were gaps, and we started to address those. We found those gaps out through surveying the employee base. So they'll say things like, "I'm not really sure what the focus for what is our vision exactly." Like, okay. We know what it is, but it seems like we didn't communicate it well enough. And so we're very intentional uh, when it came to communication because we're all siloed in our homes. And I think if you look at the end of it now, we're on the tail end of the pandemic. I'm happy we did those things because it did kind of result in a more engaged employee force, workforce. And the comments that we've heard were very positive throughout. I'm sure there's
0: other things we could have done, but that's kind of where our brainstorming took us. Several comments in here about awesome ideas and really love it. And that, as you said, childcare and putting that in and and actually having that as a label. So talk us through that. Like, was anyone hesitant around it, and how did people react? I think that's such a powerful signal and decision that you and that you made. So, what was that experience like for people? I would imagine there
1: was trepid- trepidation by an employee saying, I'm going to block and make it very visible. I'm not available for this reason, right? But we were just very vocal about it. And I think to the degree that we can, we were vulnerable ourselves and saying, look, I need some time off. I'm having issues dealing with with this and that. And so that allowed everyone else to be comfortable to also have those challenges, right? (laughs) And and so, and, and then I think when you talk about it in meetings, this is where as a leader, we always have to be very careful about the way we react and the way we talk about things. But say if we're trying to get a meeting together and one person was on that childcare spot, well, we weren't saying things, oh, if this person wasn't taking this time off, would be able to think now we have to find a different time slot right. because it's, it's not a problem, right? This is what we want people to be, we want to be flexible, work around their schedules because it's a special circumstance. So I think because it's just the behavior and the way we talk about it, it allowed people to be more flexible, be open with it. And ultimately, too, Craig. I think it's important for people to know what they're supposed to do and what their target is and what's expected of them. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. Professionals want to be treated like professionals. Mm-hmm. I always like to start with a lot of trust in every employee relationship, and and walk it back from there. And so I'm assuming you're going to do the work that you need to do. And
0: presumably, if you're not, it will show up eventually. <laughs> so I'm not there to police. Thank you for sharing that and providing even additional detail because a lot of leaders, a lot of organizations and the work that I do as well, they'll talk about these things like, you know, hey, we're here and we're supportive. And what I love about what you're sharing right now, and I think because the behaviors are what people can observe, right? And the communication is essential. It's not to say the communication isn't important. It absolutely is. And then you're saying, hey, create this label, put this in the calendar. And then the Explicit and implicit messages being communicated by that is so powerful because it's not seen as an inconvenience, as you say. It's seen as something that's important and we respect that. And what that means to people, as well as to others observing it, must just be absolutely incredible. Got another question here from Tara who was wondering love that you commented on the vulnerability and the communication piece, and sometimes struggle with so how much do you share so any personal experience around how you make those decisions about what to communicate and how much to personally share cuz mm-hmm. you know would love to get your take on that
1: it's tough to draw that line right because on one hand you want to be strong for the team and they are looking towards you as a as a person who's going to be supportive and like see-through, right? Like, you know, we'll be okay. And so being able to balance that with the reality was we were all struggling. And so I would would just say it, you know, when we had these stand-up meetings, especially early on in the pandemic, I would say, look, all of us are feeling a little bit blah. And that's kind of the basis. That's a starting point for all of us. I'm feeling this way. You're feeling this way. And we'll talk about resiliency in a bit. This is a way that we get stronger, right? Right. And I would channel in stories from the early days at Bonfire when we were a much smaller and weaker company, and how we face these headwinds. And now we don't even we don't even flinch when these things happen because we've learned to adapt and and become stronger. And so mm-hmm. the ability to kind of share that but also reframe it as a, as a way of strength and and gathering that muscle is, is one thing I relied on often during the pandemic, but it's, it's a tough line to draw.
0: It's acknowledging a, that it is a tough, like it's a challenging line. It's that kind of just right, because it really is saying, okay, so I'm counterbalancing my own situation along with what the team is looking for from me in this. And then what I really appreciate about what you're sharing is, is that it's it's acknowledging your own space and also in a way in which that both connects as well as engages the people around you. So it's not a, oh, everything's awesome. And this is like, yeah, there are some struggles and hey, and here's where we're going and hey, we've got what it takes to get there. So absolutely love that. And you hinted at or touched on resilience. So I love to get your take and I've had multiple comments already saying, really appreciate your energy. So what are some things that you do as a, as an individual executive CEO to maintain your level of resilience. And then, and then people talk a lot about team resilience and organizational resilience, talk to us about that as well. So it's the individual and the collective. So what do you find are the best ways to do that?
1: And I, I also learned that about myself during the pandemic, right? Like you kind of see how you behave and you're like, what's working, what's not working, how can I, and people will comment. Uh, and so you begin to build that self awareness, you know, during that time. So the one thing I I, I do, and I noticed I, I I do often is reframe challenges as a way to to build muscle to handle future uh, challenges. Right? It's the whole Rocky said it best, right? No pain, no gain. And sometimes those simple things are so true. But until you go through them, and and the way you you believe that is by reflecting on a challenge that you had that was a big deal then and now is no longer a big deal. So I would say things like, look, we're a generation that was very lucky so far, right? We did not experience a big war, a catastrophe that you know maybe our grandparents did. And this is our big challenge, right? We're gonna be the generation that tells a story. And how do you wanna tell that story? And so being able to reframe and think of that as a building muscle exercise was was helpful for me. The other thing is I view challenges as inevitable. I'm not fighting them as they appear, but you take them on and stride and as much as you can, again, reframing and saying, this is gonna make me a little bit better. And I learned that early on in my career. Hmm. I'd be building these energy models that would take like a month and a half to build and you press go. And the first time I built one of these, basically it always crashes. This is kind of, right? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, but I worked for I was so meticulous. Why is it not working? And then I realized that's that's my job, right? My job is to make it work. It's not mm-hmm. to make it work from day one. Anticipate that challenges will come and you won't fight them, and you take them and stride, you just accept them. You mentioned my work with with refugees. I was a refugee at one point. And so I like to remind myself that whatever challenges, we are experiencing they pale in comparison to the real problems that other people have. And I don't mean to demean the problems that we all have and and minimize them. But I think it's just creating that contrast and just saying, no matter what, we're very lucky, right? We're very lucky to be here, to live in a country that's safe, to have access, even in the middle of the pandemic, when if you got sick, you were going to be taken care of. And how many people in the world did not have that? And just, you know, sizing it up, versus the bigger things in life, but we'll just help you kind of refocus and maybe
0: not feel so sorry for ourselves as we kind of go through these, right? And this is World Gratitude Day. So oh. <laughs> have to perfect it down. To reinforce that message because it's so important to remember the blessings that we have. And building on that, I love that you use this word multiple times, which is reframing. And it's such a critical skill for all of us in life, work and in life, how we perceive a situation how we perceive and exchange very much has a significant impact on our experience, on our choices, on our emotional state with it. And so I love that you mentioned that multiple times because reframing that's within our control. We, we can be Mm -hmm. empowered to do that. So that's a masterclass in, uh, in mindset, in, in, in mindset management. What about at a team level? So when you get into teams and organizations, I think these are all invaluable skills, absolutely kind of individually and, and so insightful. What about you're leading a team, you know, senior executive team, leading an organization? What are some things that you found to be really impactful in terms of building resilience outside of yourself?
1: A CEO is not really doing a lot without the senior team basically Ex- executing and all the things, right? And so that's, first of all, we have to re, like, be be mindful of that. And so the way we we did that is involving the team heavily in in the planning and decision making. So not the regular planning exercise, but, you know, the what ifs. And then I would be open with them and say, and I've done this even last week, right? There's a challenge that we're, we're trying to kind of solve, right? And I'll be just saying, I'm struggling with Finding out how to thread this needle, or I don't know whether we should make a bet here, we should make a bet there, and asking for their perspective. Maybe the reason that works is it creates a sense of camaraderie and we're all in it together, and we're all trying to solve this thing together. It's not coming top down, it's kind of coming organically from within. The other thing I would do is I would focus them on the medium and long term more. All of us have a tendency to look down and see the problem that we have in front of us, And again, this is a conversation that's perennial. We we have it all the time, which is like, okay, it's a lot of change management's happening now. It's really tough, right? Six months from now, when you look back, will we be in a better position once we've overcome these obstacles? How about a year from now, right? right? And just get them to look up because we can all be a little bit too consumed with the
0: problems that we have right now. And I love what you're talking about in terms of bringing people in. It's essentially engaging all the stakeholders. And so what are we going to do? We've got this, we've got this challenge and we've got to work together to figure it out. And then, yep. and especially in the pandemic where our sense of control was in many, just completely taken away from us, then to be able to provide that such a, a really critical step. And I think, and what, I, you know, again, so much for us to to reflect on during our conversation, Omar, which is, okay, so how can I bring people in in my life personally and professionally and let's collaboratively problem solve, let's figure stuff out together, and then it creates more resilience, it creates more engagement and really moves the needle on this. So thank you for for sharing that. So another question from Tim wondering, what about performance management and how do you do that effectively especially during a pandemic, any tips, advice, tools around? Because we have to produce. We have to continue to deliver results. So any thoughts around that?
1: Especially during the pandemic, I think one thing we were careful not to assume if there's a performance change that it was related to the person, you know, actual work that they're doing, there's maybe something else that's happening. And so these things got exasperated during the pandemic. So we would focus in on that. And we've had quite a few cases actually where the person was still engaged they wanted to work but they were just dealing with something that was a little bit beneath the surface so when it comes to performance management first of all there has to be a cadence set into place where people know and it, it should not be like every half a year or a year i give you this it should be a constant flow of a feedback the other thing that i i learned and i've been applying it more and more is when you are trying to give feedback you have to be just as thorough with the good feedback as well as the the, the constructive feedback, mm-hmm. there's an acronym for this that I won't say here about a, a certain type of sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> you start with good, and then you layer in the bad, and you end up with the good. Yeah. And that that is almost a little bit too see through nowadays, right? So you have to be very explicit. I love the presentation that you did. The way you covered this was really well done. But this one slide here. Could have used a little bit more detail. I think it would have included this, this, and this. It would have put a bit more of a punch behind it. And and you have to do a lot of it all the time. So people feel comfortable receiving uh, that feedback as well. And so it's a constant thing that you do. And that's how you performance manage. I think a lot of companies look at it as an an annual exercise that is like stress inducing for the entire
0: organization, (laughs) right? And it shouldn't be like that. It's great that you're commenting on the consistent, basically it's becoming a part of the fabric of how we relate every day together in the office. Like, I think that's awesome. And a point I really want to emphasize and highlight, because it's so important, as you said, right, provide the same level of detail on the positive as the negative. That is such a mic drop, like, you know, feedback delivery class, because a lot of times, like, Yeah, that's great, Omar. And then I'm going to spend 30 minutes telling you all like in intricate detail, all the stuff that you messed up versus, well, isn't there an equal opportunity to learn and also engage and reinforce? So what enabled you to land on that insight? I think that is really great in terms of bringing that balance to the conversation. I wish I say
1: I came up with it myself, but I actually listened to it at a podcast, and it really resonated with me. And it was during one of my uh, mental health walks during the pandemic when I would just go walk for an hour and listen to a podcast. And it was framed in in a discussion, and it resonated with me because I took it back and I reflected on all the times I didn't do that and how much better would have it would it have been if I if I did. Then I started applying it, and I started seeing it work. And so that just became second nature. Well, and
0: again, getting those ideas and then operationalizing them is really, really powerful. You know, we've talked a lot about the steps of, of, of what you've done in terms of the, the mental health and engagement. And then big discussion these days is around culture as well. So these are aspects of that. and And I know, you know, that's something you're very passionate about. So talk to us about culture, how you define it, how you enhance it, how you protect it your journey in, in, in that regard. There is a lot that we
1: made mistakes and don't do a great job in. But the one thing that I'm thankful that we do a good job in is culture. And that's because of the surveys that we send out and people tell us that this is the number one reason why they continue to stay here. And I've been asking myself that question, Craig, for some time, right? Like, is there a formula? And what is it? And what are we doing? Because it, it it's a little bit natural at this stage, right? We, just, we are who we are and we're just authentic selves. And I have several different thoughts on this. So I don't, I'm don't. i not going to say I've I figured it out yet. For sure, I think the managers and leaders have more of a sway in culture than the non-managers and leaders. So just recognizing that is important. And what I mean by that is, again, we talked about behaviors earlier and how people kind of like watch that and emulate it. And so being able to hire people who don't have an ego, they care about people, they're Achievers, like they want to get results, but they're not in a, in a negative way. So it starts with that. It starts with the hiring process and not just looking at credentials and experience, but more about like the feel. And sometimes we get those wrong, but that's a focus that we have. Also, this just sense of humbleness and we're all in it together. Addicta started early days. At one point where the company was expanding, we did not have a lot of money. We ordered stuff from Ikea. The entire company came together and, and started assembling desks. We're a much bigger company now. And I heard this story just like last week. Somebody joined the, the company and and she got emotional when she saw something. She actually had to go take a walk because she never imagined. And so we had to paint this one room into a brighter color. And there was like a, a developer, the office manager, and I think somebody on the product side, all masking and painting. She's like, everybody's coming together to do this. And I can't believe this is the kind of place we work at. So, So I think it just kind of ingrained. And, and then what happens? So how do you maintain that, right? And I do think that once you've built a good platform and like a way of doing things and values and, and that are like clearly articulated and that we live by, it's kind of like a current that just sweeps you with it. Because we get people that have worked in toxic cultures and, and I've heard things like, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop right. because it can't be, there's a honeymoon period. And when that person sees, no, no, this is it. There's no other shoe, right? (laughs) 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 Then they began to emulate this. And when people were added to the company, especially during the pandemic, where they didn't meet anybody, we encouraged people to say hello, book a coffee chat with them, welcome them. So I guess people just get indoctrinated in this way of doing things. And indoctrination has usually negative connotations. And here it's a good thing. And it just becomes a way that we do things here. So I don't know if we codified it. It's just you pick the right people, you emulate those behaviors, and when you see it going astray, you correct it and then you get things back on on course. But yeah, be genuine, transparent to the degree that you can. Give people a lot, like something big, bigger than them to, to go after a purpose mm-hmm. for what they're doing. And if you do all those right and they're difficult to get right, I think you'll end up with a positive
0: place to work that people want to stick around. Based on what you're sharing, Omar, the infectiousness, if you will, of culture and people when they get exposed to it, it's, you know, and when it's embedded as a day to day, this is how we treat each other, it's difficult not to be assimilated in that and follow suit for yeah. good and for bad. Again, the, you talked about toxic cultures and I really appreciate because I think that's, you know, the ultimate res- mantle of responsibility for leadership, which is so being the champions of culture, if you will, because that the disproportionate impact because people look up to see, well, how do we behave? And so being emulated at the top levels of the house really is inspiring as you cascade down. So really appreciate you made that point because sometimes that can get lost. And so I I love, you know, how you focus on, well, let's be intentional about what I'm saying, what I'm doing, and how does that impact what we say we want to do? And I also want to ask a question around, there is a big conversation about leadership these days. And so when you start to touch on some of those aspects, what do you think are the key leadership qualities? Like what, what qualities would, do you feel that leaders need to possess both not just for today, into the future. And even if you feel like they're going to change or some are going to be even more important, would love to get your expert insight on this in terms of where leaders are going. I think leaders should,
1: should be, People focused and that, that you can unpack that some more. Well, how how, so you have to be transparent. You have to be authentic. Everybody's really smart. And, and therefore, if you're authentic and you're straightforward with people, they'll trust you and they'll work and, and follow the plans that you put into place. That's really important. Resilience is important. We talked about this already because challenges, as we said, are inevitable. And the way you handle those challenges, again, becomes a cue for your team. And being able to be staying on on focus. So having having a focus, having a thing to drive people towards is really important. And the ability to to get people motivated and, and charged to kind of do the things that they need to do. Those are all, I think, just basic, basic traits. But but I think it's the people aspect that I know we've talked about it before, uh, Craig, that is not maybe as well talked about as it should be, because yeah. there is a sense sometimes with let's just call it like old school. Or old schools of thought in which you have to be this authoritarian figure and that's the best way to whip people into shape. And I don't think that's an outdated thing that probably never worked. And so having, especially in this era where people have awakened to uh, positively, I think, you know, we're talking about quiet quitting now. Yeah. Which it's like, well, what what are you expecting from people? Right? They're they're here to do their job and they still have lives outside of this, right? But there's this in that term, there's you sense where like the culture is and how they view people working uh, at a company. And so no, we need people who are, are people-focused, leaders who are
0: people-focused. And that's something that's not talked about enough. People talking about a more humanistic approach to leadership. And you're so right that for such a long time, that was seen as, you know, too soft or it doesn't have a place in the rough and tumble world of business and everything else. And you're, you're, you know, so bang on around. So you you hear about the great resignation, you hear about quiet quitting and then and at the heart underlying that. And if you look at any of the thought leaders presenting evidence around, I mean, you, and you're, you're nailing it. It's a leadership. Like if people don't feel cared for, if they don't feel like their leaders are concerned about how they're doing and what they're doing, right? And why they're doing it. It's really tough to get the best let get the best out of you. Like that's a, just, just get something because it's, you know what? Like I'm here, I'm, I'm giving you my time, my energy, my focus. And the least I'm looking for is respect. So I've got another question, which I'm excited to ask because Stan mentioned you were talking about purpose. And so can you talk to us a little bit about, so how you find a personal sense of purpose or create that sense of purpose within your team, within your organization, would love to hear more.
1: Yeah, so I'll talk about the, the the company first, how we do it for the team, and then personally how I I think about this too. So for the company, I think we're lucky in the sense that we serve government. We we provide a platform for governments to use. We we see the impact that our platform has on the communities that we live in day in and day out, and that was especially came to the surface during the pandemic because we basically are on the procurement side. So we connect buyers with with sellers. And as you all know, there was a shortage of sanitizer and PPE. And we had just a flood of organizations join us at that time who, first of all, they had to work from home so they couldn't even run the operation of their city, right? Like they couldn't buy the things that their city needed to operate. But then when it came to buying those things, where did they find them? We collected actually stories during the pandemic. Somebody would say, oh, the city of so-and-so Georgia was looking for sanitizer. They joined us on this day, the day after they were able to find a supplier. But here's the thing. Those stories were in the confines of the customer team. So we were Mm. super deliberate at making sure these get shared. In company meetings, we talk about them. We even had panels, right, of customers talking about what they did. And I'm sure every company has something but it's not maybe often communicated. Pull on that thread and and don't assume that people know. That's one thing that we did that we continue to do. In our team meetings, we try to put customer stories regularly in because mm-hmm. I always think of to myself, if I'm in accounting at Bonfire and I'm critical to the operation, but I'm in back office, how do I know these things are happening? And where, where do I get my motivation okay. to like, process these invoices and set the plan and work with these spreadsheets. I'm part of this machinery that allows people to get sanitizer when they need it. Right. <laughs> so yeah. So connecting, connecting that dots. And for me, I do the same thing. Right. And so I, I look at well, what am I doing out of all the time that we all have at our disposal, where is it best suited and where should I put it? I don't lie to myself. Like I find something that really drives me and I just keep reminding I'm doing it for that reason. This is my purpose. So joining Bonfire early days, company was small, more likely to not flourish. What I drove myself with that time and gave myself purpose is like, I'm going to learn how to develop a business and how to grow something. And even if everything fails, I will be a better person at the end of
0: this. And so that's how I do it personally. A couple of key things again, and just such powerful nuggets for us to reflect on, right? As you say, those stories are there do we go and capture that? Like that is just invaluable purpose-driven fuel. That's right in front of us. Yet if we're not to go building, I want you shared earlier about Omar, someone looking up, someone taking that view and saying, Hey, this is really powerful for all of us to share in that. So that tomorrow I show up and go, wow, I'm, I may be helping the city, some city somewhere get something that's invaluable, something they desperately need and only we can provide. So what an awesome, awesome piece. And, and part two, coming back to you, and I love that this continually comes up because I think, you know, it's such a powerful driver of success. And as you said, your mindset around, I'm going to join this company. Here's what I'm going to, and this is what I'm really excited about going down that path. And so reframing or framing it in such a constructive way, I think, you know, absolutely. Again, lessons for all of us in that. The time is flying by. We've got about 10 minutes, give or take. So this has been great and got lots of comments. So Allison said, love your energy and your philosophy. You mentioned sharing a couple of mistakes. <laughs> so can you share one with us? Uh, you know, so a
1: lesson you've learned. Yeah, well, it kind of dovetails into what we're talking about earlier, right? It's It's assuming that people know and wow. the importance of communication, right? Because... When you're a leader, you're privy to more information and and you're just aware of more things. And as a default, I think I'll speak for myself. You just assume that people are able to connect the dots, but you're actually blind to the blindness that exists outside, right? Because you just don't know. So that's something we made the mistake of assuming and under communicating. And we uncovered that. Again, through the the surveys that we sent to the the pulse surveys that we sent to the employees, right? Because we'll see things where we're like, "Oh, but we talked about this at two team meetings this year." Well, it's not enough, right? You have to communicate it through email and through conversations and get the department managers to talk to their middle managers and make sure that's part of the communication strategy. So that's something that we definitely learned over time, but it was brought to the surface even more so when we started working from home
0: during the pandemic. Well, such a great m- reminder as well is that, you know, if we're living something or we can have a full line of sight on something, it can be really challenging and kind of that empathy piece of that, mm. hey, well, it's 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 front and center in my world. And it's tough to remember, hey, it may not be front and center in someone else's. Like, where are they looking at things? And I love what you're shan- saying, where it's not because of poor intention, ill intention. It's just, hey, well, I'm not communicating as much as I could. Yeah. And then to put yourself in the shoes of the audience of other people, where they are, what their experience is. Now it's incredibly powerful to unlock a more effective communication, bringing up those amazing stories of the city of Georgia, you know, the city in Georgia that's yeah. looking for that. Oh, wow. That's going to be, I know this do other people so that's so great i i love to ask questions cuz i think and, and and you've talked about this and and we've never gone through you know a, a pandemic uh, what is a a lesson or lessons a key insight you learned about yourself personally through this pandemic and what's a big lesson that you learned about bonfire interactive as you've gone through this pandemic i'd love to get your take on both of those levels I, I learned how much interaction with people, <laughs> like
1: I we got that for free before, coming to the office through going out with friends, seeing family. And I didn't know that that was such a key part of my own mental health and being able to stay sane. so that was that was a big lesson that I took away. From Bonfire, I'll just give you our mindset early days in the pandemic and show you how that lesson was learned through the way. So, Again, we're serving public sector governments. They're funded through taxpayers, you know, dollars. And therefore, when all of a sudden the economy came down to a halt, we were thinking this is going to be a difficult time for us. You know, the revenues for the government are going to drop. What is that going to mean for us? And so we were very much this like sheer full state, right? What do we do? We started some research internally talking, seeing if we need to pivot but then back to the city in Georgia and many of these examples, what we learned was actually the service and the platform that we're providing is needed for business continuity. It's essential. It's not even optional anymore. And if anything, you know, the pandemic shone a spotlight on this. And so it kind of, we walked away with, again, it's like a bigger sense of purpose than we had before even, and a lot more confidence. And, and I think a lot of oomph behind our messaging uh, as well to the market. So away from business and more on culture is the importance of culture. And what I mean by that is, you know, culture was really good prior to the pandemic. Started working from home. We hired a lot of people during the pandemic. Well, how do you get these people again to be like to mesh in? And again, it's a whole infectious nature of it and how important it is to maintain it and come up with ways to continue to cultivate it in a time like that. And so what I learned about bonfires, like that is such a thing that we have that is hard to change now and we can just reliably count on it to continue working for us obviously a lot of maintenance that we have to do along the way but but that was an amazing realization for
0: us internally thank you and uh, also have a question from Eileen around and that triggered you talked about onboarding you've onboarded during the pandemic into a new role same organization mm-hmm. and then talking about bringing in new talent any thoughts suggestions around what are some great tips to to be able to do that effectively because as you say we used to be able to get together and now, you know, there can be a remote or hybrid, right? So what, what have you learned through that? You have to be intentional, but you don't assume that it's
1: just going to, you know, unfold on its own. And so it goes back to designing the onboarding program. We had one already, but we had to really look at it and think, well, what tweaks do we have to make along the way? One thing that I took away actually from a webinar of yours, Craig, one of the guests shared the importance of a CEO to talk to all, everybody who's new and was just joined. And so I put that into action shortly after that. And now everyone who joins, I chat with them. I talk to them about the company vision, the product vision. And in addition, what I did is for all the employees, we have like a random picker that picks five or six people every two weeks, and we just get to chat about anything. Wow. Really? Yeah. And it's just a completely casual chat. And you sometimes, depends on the group, you sense like people are a little bit, you know. <laughs> and then then they begin to open up and then by the end of it they realize like we're all just people at the end of the day right we're all we're all human beings so so these are things that we layered on top of our original uh, onboarding program we have a team meeting once a month we explicitly welcome we also do that in slack we encourage people to reach out to everyone and invite them for a coffee chat the third thing is we have a cultural curator committee is what we call it they're incredibly creative way more than i'll ever be you know they're organizing all kinds of virtual events like they visited a virtual zoo two weeks ago which i didn't know was a thing but you can there's cameras in the zoo and you can watch animals go around so there's like tap into the creativity of the people and then they'll give you ideas to engage
0: you know as as we close What's a piece of advice that you have for leaders, aspiring leaders? And what's your hope as we uh, continue to, to move through the, the pandemic and beyond? What would you really like for leaders to, to focus on?
1: Transparency and authenticity as the things that I would recommend every leader to focus on. It makes for easier relationship between you and the team. It makes for more engaged workforce, which means better results for everybody. And it's really easy. It's really easy to do. You just have to tap into who you are, but then just be be, be who, who you are, be your authentic selves. I think when you start any relationship on that basis of trust, it goes both ways. You end up going much further than you are through a very regimented, you know, planning exercise and uh, reporting. All these are necessary. Don't get me wrong. But you have to start the very basic, uh, which is, I like the person I work with. I trust them and I will take their guidance through good or bad. And you get that through building a really good relationship with the employee.
0: Well, thank you so, so much, Omar, for your time, your insights. Just absolutely amazing. And what I can really appreciate about you as a leader and as a person and chief executive is that continual reflection and and intentionality and thinking about You know, so what are we doing and how are we doing it? Why are we doing it? And reimagining different paths to achieve uh, the same goal, because I think especially in a world that's moving so quickly, it's a vital asset that we all have. We all can make choices around that. So uh, I just want to express my personal gratitude and note of thanks. And so as we're at close, any final comments to people, uh, final observations, things that we didn't touch on before we say goodbye today?
1: Yeah. Well, no, thanks. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for the invite. Thank you for all, all of you who have attended. No, and there's not really more I, I want to add except for, look, we made it through. You know, we made it through. And take a moment to look back on the things that you were afraid that were going to happen and then didn't or things ended up being better and just take stock of the last two and a half years where you were and where you are now and just celebrate the fact that you like all of us have grown quite a bit through this challenge and, you know, like, thank yourself for that. We survived. Thank you
0: for that. And to echo this, because as you and others know, I'm such a big fan of of evidence-based practice. And that is what you're articulating so wonderfully, Omar, is around that resilience building exercise. Look at things where We're going through situations that we feel are impossible. And we found a way through it. We are able to dig deep. We have skills, talents, people in our communities that, you know, just rise to the surface and we get through it together. And so Mm -hmm. what an inspiring story to continue in in the challenging days. And I love you mentioned that earlier too, right? There are going to be challenges. So let's remember what we were able to do. Be grateful for what we brought to the table, how we acted. And, and look forward to a positive future. So thank you so, so much. This was absolutely awesome. I got so many positive comments, really excited that you were able to take the time out of your day and yeah, take care everyone. Looking forward to seeing you at the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Do Good to Lead Well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can follow me on Twitter at Craig Dowden or reach out via LinkedIn or email info at craigdowden.com. I look forward to meeting you here next week for another transformational episode.